Hello, my friends, how are you today? You're listening to the Sunday edition of St. Mark Lutheran Church's podcast from Bemidji, Minnesota. This podcast features a sermon from our church or another Well Sister Church. If you enjoyed our sermon today, you may also be interested in our weekday devotions, which are published three times weekly on this same podcast channel. If you've already subscribed, you're all set. If not, what are you waiting for? I'd also like to invite you back every week for more sermons just like this one. Our sermon for today is titled, Forethought for the Feast, and is based on 2 Chronicles chapter 30, and Pastor Allard reads the scripture as part of his meditation. So sit back and open your heart and your mind as we ponder the word of the Lord. There are many moments and events in our lives that that we think ahead for, and doing our very best to be ready times that we consider to be important, times that we, that we dare not be caught unawares. I'll give you a classic example, a date. Is there ever a time in our life where we pay more attention to our clothing, to our faces, how we look, than at a time like that? Or another example might be a test at school, an exam, or a job interview. Times like that, because the embarrassment, if we're not ready, would be too too much, the cost too great, or the results just too terrible if we don't make sure that we are set. What about church? What, what about this thing that we choose to do together called worship? Do we give any forethought to that? And if we do, how do we do that? Do we do anything? Because we have an Old Testament account before us today that talks about, that speaks about the importance of preparing for the feast. And we're talking about the feast of God's word. King Hezekiah. Really all you need to know right now about him, he was one of those few good kings, like David, at least earlier in Hezekiah's life he was. And he strove, you could see it, he strove to follow the word of God. He showed, he stood out brightly from amongst all the other kings of Israel who led the people down horrible paths repeatedly. So let's find out. Let's look at what Hezekiah is up to in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, starting at verse 1. We read, Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also letters to Ephraim and Manasseh inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right, both to the king and to the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord. It had not been celebrated in large numbers, according to what was written. The couriers went from town to town then, in Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun, but people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some from Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Zebulun, or rather also in Judah, 
the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind, to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. And a very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread in the second month. And they removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the temple of the Lord. Then they took up their regular positions as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. And the priests splashed against the altar the blood handed to them by the Levites. And since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lambs for all those who were not ceremonially clean and could not consecrate their lambs to the Lord. And although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover, contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. And the Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing, while the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites, who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. For the seven days, they ate their assigned portion and offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So far, the word. Hezekiah, you saw what he wanted. He wants to reinstate the Passover. And you remember what that was, right? The special festival that celebrated the the liberation of the Israelite people from their uh, Egyptian slave masters. And at that time in Egypt, God had commanded each family to take a spotless lamb and paint its blood on the door frames of their houses. So that the angel would pass over their houses In other words, so the angel would not kill them. But the Israelites, they hadn't been celebrating this feast for so many years. It had fallen out of practice, so invitations were sent out all across the country. Come to Jerusalem. We're celebrating the Passover again. But they were supposed to have celebrated the Passover in the first month of the year. But because the priests weren't ready for it and because nobody showed up in Jerusalem for it, it didn't happen. So this is like the messy, everyday conversations, real life, that we Christians have. They had a discussion. What should we do about the Passover? Should we wait till, should we wait till next year? They didn't think that was right. They said, no, no, it's too important to skip it. We can't do that. So they decided... Let's still do it, even though it's a month late. Let's do it. Let's celebrate the Passover. So the word went out. We're having the Passover. And some people, you heard what they, how they reacted to the couriers. They didn't care. They mocked the messengers. But others, 
Apparently, many others came excitedly and quickly. And in Judah, we see a very special gift that God gave to his people. Did you catch it? Unity of mind. And this is not just any old unity, because there's a lot of unities of people coming together in this world that are very evil. No, this was about unity under the word, under the Lord. And this was not going to be a fake, kind of quick, get it done, go through the motions kind of thing. No. Did you see? The people got to the city of Jerusalem, and what did they do? They saw all around them (coughs) idols, shrines that the kings of the past had set up in the city of Jerusalem. And they saw those things, and they said, that's not right. And they destroyed those statues. Those idols, they tore them down and they threw them into the city dump in the Kidron Valley. That just shows us their zeal for the Lord was real. With enthusiasm, then they started the Passover feast. But they would discover a problem as they did this. God had prescribed a whole lot of things for his people to do to get ready for this feast. They were to consecrate themselves. To set themselves apart, especially for that time. And in order to do this, they needed to become ceremonially clean. And that required avoiding certain things. And in some cases, actually having a special bath. So that they would truly be ready. And some priests and Levites, they hadn't done this. They hadn't done it ahead of time. And... Given the benefit of the doubt, maybe they didn't know what to do anymore. Maybe it was just too late. Maybe they forgot. They ran out of time. Whatever the case was. And this is key. Their hearts. Their hearts were in the right place. They were longing to worship the Lord and be united with him. So Hezekiah the king prayed for the people saying, Lord, I know, I know that they're not following the letter of the law. But the people are following the spirit of it. And so he asks, God, have mercy on the people. And God said, yes. And they were healed. In what exact way, we're not told, but God healed them. Now, I think it's very safe to say that the Israelite people, the Jews specifically, and their church leadership especially, they had been sloppy. When it came to celebrating the Passover, they were reckless. They had been reckless, hadn't they? And God forgave them, didn't he? But the darkness in us is the same as that in the Jews. It's a greasy, slippery eel, that darkness in us, that finds a way to squirt out of the hands of a loving God when he tries to bring us close to him. Because maybe we're not being sloppy or reckless with the word, although that might be one of the ways, one of our problems. But there's other ways to mess this up. We can follow the commands of God carefully and hate those commands. We can also follow the commands of God mindlessly, like the walking dead, like an army of zombies. And I, this preacher, I dare not give you the impression that just by planting your backside in the pew, then you're cool with God. Then you're all right. 
That's not how it works. Being engaged in worship, that is what matters. So going through the motions, it it doesn't cut it. The word is meant to be heard, and insofar as each of us is able, processed by our minds, so the Holy Spirit can do his work. And the more you give forethought to this, the better off you'll be. One quick note, though, and I have to say this about those ceremonial washings. Just understand, those old washings, they were not like the old school version or the Mark 1 version of baptism. Baptism actually purifies us from sin. Whereas those ceremonial washings were a reminder that God wants to purify us from our sins. And how do we know? Because God never attached the forgiveness promise to those old ceremonial washings. That being said, God did actually command those washings. And I would think by now, especially in this year, you've heard of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, based in Atlanta. Does any person just walk in there? Can you walk off the street into that place? And especially when it comes to those sections of the building that are the labs, where the lab work is done. No, you can't, can you? In fact, from what I've heard, I've never been in there, but from what I've seen, it looks like the airlock, airlock of a space station. But all of that tech is going to go to waste. What's the purpose of it? It's all part of an overall mindset of the people who work there. You've got to stay focused. You've got to be mindful of what you can and can't touch. Did you go through the procedure before, especially before you leave that building? Because there's viruses that are way worse than the coronavirus. To our lesson, God used this. He used the ceremonial washings to clear their hearts and their minds from other things. And there's a whole lot of other things in our life that can really focus our attention off of what God says. So God used those washings to transition their thoughts and their memories to the most important thing in their life. Worship of a God. The true God who wants his people to live, and I mean really live. So they washed. So his Old Testament people transitioned. And then they could hear. They were ready to hear the truths that God was preaching through his word. Then they could see in the sacrifices that God was teaching them about himself. And then they could focus on the promise of Messiah the lamb of sacrifice that would save them all. But we live in the New Testament period, right? We could say we live under a freedom that those Jews could never understand, at least not back then. God doesn't command, thou shalt not eat shellfish the day before worship. God does not command that we take a special hour-long bath on Saturday nights or Friday nights. But the basic principle of thinking ahead for worship That hasn't changed. He still wants us to be ready for the feast. He doesn't give us a list of 15 things that we have to do in order to accomplish this. But he does tell us that he wants our focus to be on him 
and his love. And his love. So then, i got to return to the question that I asked at the beginning. How do you do the whole forethought thing for worship? In some cases, worship becomes, can become, just another thing that we do. Instead of it being the pinnacle event of our week, which is what it is, it becomes what? Another event on the schedule that we have to attend. So we ask, which? Which things will help actually help you personally to be better prepared for worship? How about this one? Maybe, maybe this is too simple. Getting to bed at a decent hour. What, what's that going to do for you? Instead of staying up late watching movies, instead of staying up late at a friend's house playing the PlayStation, which will help you to prepare better. How about this? Planning your offerings in advance instead of rushing through getting it ready in the middle of the worship service. You know, get the, get the money out, get the envelope out in the middle of the worship service. No, you do it the night before. It's one more thing you don't have to think of on Sunday morning. Or how about this? Getting out of bed with enough time to spare to get to church on time. Or rushing in at the last second. In all of these ways and more, we abandon any idea of preparation and open ourselves up to the kinds of distraction that come with just plain simple fatigue, being tired, and the franticness, and even the fear that can come out of rushing through our lives. And then when we do that, we ruin worship for ourselves. Not to mention what we're saying to our father and our family with those kinds of actions. But the God of the Israelites is our God too. He is a God of mercy. That has not changed either. We do disobey his third commandment of preparation for the truth, of a ravenous hunger for the truth. We do. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, never did. We may have disregarded his wisdom of being ready for worship, but the blood of the Lamb washes that specific sin away. We need this. I mean, even with other things in life, things that are less important. Have you ever gone downstairs in your house to go to the pantry to get some food and you get downstairs and you have no idea what you went down there for? You don't even know if you went to get food or not. Or you're reading one of your favorite books, maybe for me a Star Wars book, maybe for you a mystery or something else. And you realize, I can't even remember the last four pages of what I read at all. I better start over. We, do, we need this. We may have times with the word where we just go through the motions and miss what the Lord is telling us. But the anger of God passes over us. The gospel of the Lamb who died and rose again renews us. So it is good. It is good that we are here because even when we are unprepared, even then, God can and does still reach us with his love and brings life even to our feeble worship. 
When we think of that, that changes something inside us. Because when you understand God's love, God gives us a superpower. And it really is a superpower. It's the power to see the beauty that is God's commandments. Seeing what a sacrifice God's own son made for us. When you see that, then you ask yourself, you make a logical deduction and say, why do I, would I want to give him wimpy worship? Why would I want to give him wimp worship? Why would I want to give him half-hearted worship? Who wants to act as though what God does is no big deal? When he teaches us what he does, he's going to bring an end to everything. He's going to create an actual new heavens and a new earth. He's going to give us literal immortality. And he's going to give us unity with his mind. How can we act as if that's no big deal? No way. Not me. Not us. Worship being everything that it can be. Wanting to get as much out of worship as we can. Wanting our faith to be strengthened. Strengthened to the nth degree. Wanting the lover of our souls to get our best worship. That is why we forethink, we get ready for the feast that is God's holy word. And you heard two other lessons today in the worship service. Two lessons that if you took those out of context and you didn't prepare for years of Bible study in Sunday school, they sound like entirely like law, like God hates us. For thinking the word and worship matters. And prayer? Prayer is a good place to start. A simple prayer on Saturday night, God, Holy Spirit, help me to get ready for worship. Or doing a prayer before the service. No, this is not a magic thing. We don't say magical words before we enter the church doors and then we're blessed. No, it's God, help my mind to actually hear and focus for more than just 10 seconds. Help me. A simple prayer. Or budgeting your money, as we mentioned very briefly before. Having a plan for your giving makes it easier to get ready, takes one more worry off your mind. Setting the alarm clock 15 minutes earlier may be all it takes to remove the rush from Sunday mornings. A little more sleep. It's amazing what just one more hour does for you. A little more sleep will help you fo focus on each facet of worship on Sunday. And these are just a few little examples. But examine things for yourself. Look at your own preparation for worship and ask, wh where can you improve? So that the name of the Lord, because this is what it's all about, so that the name of the Lord might be glorified. And that your soul, your soul, may be washed. Jews, the Jewish people had for a long time lost the joy of worship. But when they were finally able to return to it and the Passover, their joy was renewed like never before. Just imagine the city of Jerusalem packed with throngs of people. And, and the people rejoicing and partaking in the feast and reaping all, this, all God's blessings designed to give joy. The kind of joy that lasts even through a funeral. Almost sounds like a little slice of heaven. 
doesn't it? That's what we have here. God comes among us the same way he did with his Jewish people, so with his chosen people today. He comes among us with his word and also with his water and his wafer and wine. And our sins, they actually are forgiven. And God's name is praised by us. And our hearts are filled. So make it. Make it a little bigger slice of heaven for yourself by forethinking the feast of God's word. Amen. That's all there is for today, but we are so happy you took a few moments out of your busy day to listen to God's Word with us. Please consider subscribing to our podcast to hear more devotions like this, Monday through Friday, and to hear our Sunday sermons as well. We also cordially invite you to join us for church every week at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website at www.stmarksbemidji.org.